0: Welcome to episode 109 of the Fabulously Keto podcast and today I'm interviewing Laura Rupsis and Laura is the admissions director for the Primal Health Institute where I completed the second of my coaching programs and I'm also enrolled on their fitness programs. So whilst I was enrolling for the first fitness program, I was talking to Laura and I invited her to come on the podcast, so I'm really pleased that she could join us. And here's a bit about Laura. As a working mother of four children, Laura understands the demands of today's busy lifestyle and the detrimental impact that the dietary and lifestyle choices so many of us make in the interest of convenience can have on us. After spending over 20 years in the financial industry and about five years of hard work and planning, Laura was able to leave that world behind to pursue her passion for ancestral health and fitness. Laura earned her first nutrition health coach certification through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in 2012 after suffering severe health issues that were only alleviated through diet and lifestyle changes rather than conventional medical interventions. She then aligned herself with the Primal Health Coach Institute in 2013 to coach others through the long term lifestyle changes using the ancestral health model that has helped her maintain her health and optimal weight effortlessly. Laura also became a CrossFit affiliate owner and a trainer in 2013 and has been using primal health coaching since the gym opened as a way to add more value differentiate her box from all the others and add additional sources of revenue she is committed to coaching others into healthy real food holistic lifestyle that best suits the unique metabolic and lifestyle needs of each individual Laura joined the Primal Health Coach Institute as a team member in 2016 as the Director of Admissions. She is also a faculty member and a coach supporting, guiding and educating new primal health coaches. In 2020, Laura and her family moved to Florida, where she continues to coach and is rebuilding her private practice while also supporting others who want to build a career out of their passion for health and fitness with the Primal Health Coach Institute. Laura's certifications include CF Level 1, MoVNAT Level 1, Certified Primal Health Coach, IIN Certified Holistic Health Coach, NASM certified personal trainer and NASM women's fitness specialist. Let's go and hear from Laura. Welcome, Laura, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today.
2: It's fabulous to be here. I love the name of the podcast. I love the word fabulous.
0: Yeah, that's why I chose it. But there we go, because I felt fabulous. So why not? (laughs) Why not? So we always ask our guests,
2: where in the world are you? Where in the world am I? I am in northern Florida, a town called St. Augustine, Florida, which holds the unique distinction of being the oldest
0: city in the United States. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, only, the oldest known one, perhaps. 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 <laughs> right. I know. I think so. New, New Smyrna is just
2: south, and they keep saying that's a bunch of BS. That they were actually the first town, and St. Augustine just sort of usurped the title. But it's there's a lot of really unique history here. It's
0: pretty cool. So, are you in in the center of northern Florida, or are you in the Panhandle? Where whereabouts are you?
2: No, I'm I'm on the East Coast, so uh, Jacksonville is probably the largest kind of city that more people have kind of heard of. So. Uh, We are on the Atlantic side and St. Augustine and Jacksonville is sandwiched between the Atlantic Ocean and the St. John's River, an enormous river that runs um, up and down through Florida. Um, So we chose it because my husband loves to fish and even a bad day of fishing is better than a good day without fishing. So between the river and the ocean, he's never more than 30 minutes away from water. Excellent. Excellent. And because you've recently moved there, haven't you? Yes, I did. We moved two years ago. We made the decision to move from Illinois to Florida right in the heart of the pandemic. You know, (laughs) not because of the pandemic. I mean, I I had that goal in mind. I wanted to move before my two smallest were in first grade. That was my goal. And the timing just happened to work out. You know, we knew we wanted to put it on the market. April 2020, we had that plan well in advance of the pandemic. And I certainly wasn't going to let that stop me. And it turned out to be a fabulous move because in the state of Illinois, schools were still really locked down. And here in Florida, my girls could go to school in person. So that was that. I mean, Brad and I talk about the beauty of the timing of when we got down here because everything just sort of snapped into place. I keep telling him it was karma, God, the universe, whatever, whatever you believe in um, kept telling This was the right move because everything really just fell into place.
0: It was meant to be. Yeah. Right. Excellent. So how are, you, are are the two youngest ones girls? Yes, I have twins. So, oh, me too.
2: <laughs> so I have four children. Yeah. You know, I got married in my 20s and I had my oldest son Matthew at 27 and then my daughter Mia 2 years later, I was 29. And then I was a single mom for over 10 years. Um I got remarried right around 40 my early forties. Um, and I wound up knocked up with twins at the age of 42. And and look, everybody asks me who my fertility specialist was. <laughs> His name is Brad Robson. He's not for hire, but you know, I just, lo and behold, older women are more prone to twins. I didn't know that, but you know, our eggs are more fragile, more prone to splitting. Plus as we age, You know, our bodies start to kind of wind down that reproductive process, and our body starts to sort of release more than one egg at a time, and that's what happened with me. So I wound up pregnant with twins at the age of
0: forty-two. Wow! Yeah, so they're eight now. Fabulous! In third grade. Mine are (laughs) nineteen.
2: Yeah, I mean Mia's twenty one and Matt's twenty-four. So I, I have that. It's it's really funny. I have these two grown adults. I mean, Matt's got a full beard. <laughs> you know, he's a man. And I have these little girls. But you know what? Gosh, they just adore each other. They miss each other because Matt and Mia are still in Illinois and Charlie and Sydney are down here. So they miss each other quite a bit.
0: Yeah, that's a shame. So tell us a bit about your story. And you say you describe your way of eating as ancestral. Perhaps I don't think we've had anyone describe their way of eating as ancestral on the podcast before. So maybe you could explain what that means. Yeah.
2: So I I describe it as I I try to eat a diet as close to how humans evolved eating. That's what I mean by ancestral. Sometimes people get confused and they ask if it's about my blood type or about my genetics. No, it's not necessarily about my ancestry. I'm talking humans. Right. And we, when we look back through time, I, we can't say for certain what early humans like. Oh, I'm eating like the broccoli today is not, even if we had broccoli thousands of years ago, who knows? It's not the same, but you know, we lose the forest for the trees there. The idea is what we ate was a whole food diet procured locally to our environment and in season. Yeah. Okay. So that was the human diet for 1000s and 1000s and 1000s and 1000s of years. So whether somebody was living in a um, sort of island kind of climate where they ate a lot of perhaps fruit or coconuts or tubers and fish, maybe the occasional wild boar, or whether someone is in Alaska and eating a lot of like whale blubber and kelp, right? That doesn't matter so much as the fact that it's a nutrient dense whole food diet that is local to where we live and in season. So that's what I try to live up to, and and granted, I, I don't lose the forest for the trees necessarily. When I lived in Illinois, did I eat an avocado from time to time, (laughs) even though avocados don't grow in Illinois? I did, you know, but I really tried to keep my foods to the vegetables that were in season. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't really eat a lot of sugary fruits year round. I didn't, our bodies aren't designed for that. Um, but I did eat a lot of sort of naturally raised, organic, or pasture raised, um, wild caught type of animal foods and um, as close to locally grown or seasonal kind of vegetables and fruits as I could. Yeah. As minimally processed as possible. Because processing really didn't come into play until not that long ago. I mean, the earliest kind of processing was fire, right? Cooking it and fermenting. Yeah. Right. Um, which I, I would describe as minimally processed. And it's those processes that made us even be able to eat certain
0: foods and for foods to last longer. Yeah, and and definitely not the ones from the last 200 years. I, no. Know, they're the ones you avoid. They're the ones I avoid as much as possible.
2: Yeah, you know, look, I mean, I try to say with my clients, if if it comes in a package that you have to turn over to read the ingredients, that's your first kind of caution, You know, and then if you turn it over and you read the ingredients and you think, oh, okay, I have all that in my kitchen. I could make that myself if I wanted to, Yeah, you know, Uh, but there are certain things that even though I have them, or I, maybe I once had in my kitchen, I still avoid, you know, a lot of flours and sugars and things like that. We, we just try to avoid. Um, and I have found that by doing that, I naturally have a diet that's lower in carbohydrate. There were times of the year where I might eat more fruit because they're seasonal, So perhaps I'm not as low carb as I might be in the winter, but, um, my body settles into this, this pattern settles into sort of the right sort of carbohydrate load for where I am seasonally. Um, I don't really have to think about it. I don't really have to measure anything. Um, and I just sort of effortlessly maintain a healthy weight.
0: Yeah. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. So how did you come to that way of being, what led you there?
2: Oh my gosh. The same thing that leads everybody there, right? The same thing that leads everybody to a keto diet or whatever. Um, For me, it was, I I just got sick, you know, and some people I think are led to kind of a keto low carb diet for weight loss reasons. I actually got sick in pursuit of losing weight. Not that I I, I just genetically, I'm not a large person, but I'm not genetically a very thin person either. It's very easy for my body to carry an extra 20 pounds. Very easy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was always in this battle of, of trying to not carry that extra 20 pounds, like a lot of women. Right. And I had a very high stress job. I was eating what I thought I should eat based on what the dietetics association and the medical association says we should eat this sort of low fat whole grain diet, right. Full of lots of healthy, healthy, I'm saying in air quotes, whole grains, lots of low fat dairy. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) You know, and just a lot of refined diet foods is what I, what I was eating. And I was able to keep my calories low and I was able to remain relatively slim, but my gut health was really poor. I had chronic inflammation. I I just didn't know that's what it was at the time. You know, I, I I could
0: not get well. So when you say, when you say chronic inflammation, what, what specifically was inflamed? In my case, it was my sinuses. Mm -hmm.
2: I had a chronic upper respiratory infection all the time. Um, That's how it manifested for me with some of my clients. I see it in their skin. I see it in joint pain. I see it in chronic headaches. I see it in. um, Yes. Right. A lot of gut health issues, a lot of um, brain fog, the inability to focus a lot of that kind of late afternoon energy slump. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that it like these symptoms that so many people take as like every day, these are normal Are they might seem common, but that's not normal. For me, it was this chronic sinus infection that I always had. And, you know, I found as I was getting older, the space between these infections got smaller and smaller until I finally got to the part, Jackie, it literally never went away. I was always battling something. I would have what I thought were allergies that would turn into yet another sinus infection, that again pneumonia. Like you know, this is not normal. And then, and then the byproduct of that in the conventional medical realm was, well, she's got an infection. Uh, so I, I can't even tell you how many rounds of antibiotics I was on, which continued to ruin my gut. Yep. And make that worse, the amount of stress that put my body under, on top of the amount of stress my body was under because of the chronic ridiculous exercise pattern I was. Uh, because, Oh, because conventional wisdom was just run more. Yeah. Just keep, go out and run and do all this, like burn calories, the whole kind of burning calories. We, you and I know that that's not true anymore, but that was the paradigm. So the, the stress of the chronic exercise I was doing, the stress of my job, the stress of being a single mother, You know, all of that just sort of rolled up into like these high levels of inflammation that I was constantly playing whack-a-mole with trying to treat the symptoms and I wasn't getting any better. And I look, when was this, this was, um, over 10 years ago.
0: Okay.
2: Okay. So I was in my later thirties and I I was at a point where I was on allergy medicine, anti-inflammatories, cough medicine, nasal sprays pain medication, sleep medication. And then of course the episodic antibiotics that I was on, I was on like seven different prescription medications at 38. I'm 38, I'm 38. And I finally, I fancy myself to be a pretty smart girl, right? Where I was finally like, wait a minute, this can't be right. You know? And I knew like, I could tell like something wasn't right with my body. I kept asking my doctors, why does this keep happening? Nobody could answer why it was happening. Not in seven minutes. That's the prevailing thing here in the U.S. I S I don't know what it's like in, in the UK, but you know, we get seven ish minutes, seven or eight minutes with the doctor. It wasn't until I was, I was with a, um, a client of mine from, you know, this was before I moved into health coaching and I was in finance and I went to go visit one of my clients and he could just, I was not well, and he could see it. And he was like, Time out. He gave me this tea timeout when I was in the middle of trying to pitch my global bond fund, you know, like, wait a minute, Laura are you okay? Mm -hmm. Don't take this the wrong way. You don't look good. Like what's going on? And boy, I just unloaded on this poor guy. (laughs) Um, And he said, you know, are you open-minded? I'm like, at this point I will, Willing to resort to like human sacrifice, (laughs) like whatever's going to make me well. I, you know, he said he gave me the card of a doctor that he went to see who is by license a chiropractor, but he was essentially a functional medicine practitioner. This guy did like Chinese medicine, acupuncture, chiropractic care. He said, you know, I know he seems, it seems a little woo woo, but just go see him. It changed my life. So I went to go see this guy who spent an hour and a half with me. Mm -hmm. hour and a half with me, um, who, and he was the first one to speak in terms of language that I understood. And he spoke in terms of the root problem. He's the one who, who helped me realize why it keeps happening. It was the first time I really understood what chronic inflammation meant. I understood what the word chronic means. I understood what kind of inflammation meant. I didn't really understand what it meant in relative terms, relevant terms to me and my body. You know, and then I'm like, how do I fix it? You know, and this is where he said, look, the antibiotics you have been on have completely ruined your gut. We've got to restore that. So, um, plus he felt that I had, um, some can like a candida overgrowth, which look, if you have chronic bacterial overgrowth, but also a lot of these things go hand in hand. I, I know this now, 10 years later, right after yeah research and education, but, you know, so we had to drastically remove a lot of the carbohydrate from my diet because that's what these little beasties feed on, right? The bad bacteria feed on, on that kind of stuff. And so does the yeast and some other things. So I went on a very strict elimination diet of literally just meat and vegetables. I really couldn't even have fermented food for a while. Um, and no, absolutely no dairy. He was convinced that was a big part of my problem because dairy, the it's typically casein, but you know that some of the protein in dairy cause high levels of inflammation in your sinuses. So he he really felt that was it, and he said, and there's often a cross reaction to gluten. The dairy protein and gluten is a protein there tends to be a cross, So let's we're going to eliminate all that stuff: meat and veg. That was all I ate for like six weeks. I had some probiotics and a couple of other Chinese herbs to help calm inflammation and 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 restore my adrenal health because of all the stress. Jackie in 6 weeks. <laughs> I was like a completely different person. It wasn't all gone, but I was like holy cow. And boy was I mad that I spent years just taking prescription drugs and never getting to the root of the problem. That I went down a rabbit hole of my own research. I read every book and I kept coming up with the first book that really kind of hit my radar was the Weston a price nutrition. Um, what is it? Nutrition and physical degeneration. Weston a price was a dentist back in like the thirties that drew the connection between poor dental health and diet and chronic illness. Yes. I read that one cover to cover like it was a romance novel, you know. Um, and then I it led me to Mark Sisson's book, The Primal Blueprint. It led me to Nora Gaudis's book, um, Primal. Oh, what's it called? I've drawn a blank on it, but Rob Wolf's book, Chris cressers I read them all, which is these are the, these were the big kind of figureheads in the ancestral health realm or the quote unquote paleo realm. I really didn't buy so much into the caveman argument. I'm like, who cares? I, I don't live in paleo times, but the concept made sense to me. Yes right? So, um, that's when I just sort of started down that journey and I was asking this practitioner what he thought. He said, I think it's fabulous. Anything that gets you away from processed foods and away from these foods that inflame you specifically, I think it's great. Um, and then I started down that path and I started a little blog because I was so hyped up (laughs) about it, but I mean, so this was well over 10 years ago and my older two were still pretty young at the time. And, um, it's probably close to twelve because I think Matt was probably about twelve and Neo is probably like 10 ish.
0: So yeah. at, that, at that point, were you on your own still? Oh yeah. So what? How did you bring it into home with with the kids? Oh my gosh, with an
2: iron fist, and I'll tell you that didn't go well. So when at the end of the day, I had to realize. I mean, they they gave me a bit of a battle. So so bear in mind, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. My uh, ex husband has like the pizza and Chinese food nut or butter diet, right? Um, and I was trying to transition my children into a strictly whole food diet. It's not that he wasn't supportive or giving me crap about not feeding our kids crap. He just couldn't be bothered to change his habits. And so his home had what it had. So my kids ate one way when they were with me and one way when they were with their dad. And you know, in the beginning, it was really hard. I had to do, I did a lot of negotiations. I I, I was not, um, at first I was like, it's this way period. Um, and after a while I realized, you know what, these kids are 10 and 12. They're not itty bitty. I, I need to be, um, I need to understand their come from and kind of their concerns. So we just sort of negotiated and I would eventually have healthier versions of the foods that they loved. Um, and I, but I would buy them in limited quantities. And when they were gone, they were gone. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so we, I had a negotiation of what I was willing to bring into my house, because one of the things we know, um, that I know as a health coach too, is the, your level of success is 100% determined by the environment you're in. Yeah. And if the environment you are in is loaded with landmines, it's just going to make it that much harder. And it's, you're unlikely
0: to be successful long-term. Yeah. You have to be very strong. And, you know, in a way I, I am that person because, but I made myself a little area of my cupboard uh, and uh, of a cupboard and that was my stuff. So I didn't have to look through the rest of the cupboard. I didn't have to go to any other cupboard. So that was my way of navigating it, but it still is today. There's biscuits everywhere. It's just got to the point where actually it doesn't really bother me because I don't want to eat that most of the time. Occasionally, they might come out with a pack of biscuits, and I'd sit and look and think, oh, "I'd love to have one of those," but I don't. Yeah, but it, it is much better when when you're supported at home and yeah. the environment, and there isn't the temptation there. To- yeah,
2: the good news was I was a pocketbook, and I'm the one that did the shopping, so that is what it is. If if you're in a situation where you're not the one that does the shopping, you're not the one that does the cooking. It makes it a little bit harder in terms of getting buy-in. But, um, but for the most part, you know, I mean, unless you're a child and you don't have the ability to kind of procure your own food, you know, there, there's definitely a way to do this, but you know, it's, it's definitely a lot harder when you're trying to unwind past bad habits with people that don't see that there's a need for them to participate. You know, my kids were little and they just, they they didn't have the issues I had. Right. Uh, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You can't, once they're exposed to this stuff, there's just no way of not of unexposing them. So if my little, little ones, they went there for the, probably the first four years of their lives without any of that stuff. And it wasn't until we started, you know, birthday parties and things of that nature when it was a family party, we would just bring our own food. Nobody cared. But yep. as I got older and they had friends, it, I felt a little weird <laughs> bringing like special food, you know? Um, but after a while, we just sort of let them have it. And I'll tell you, it's addictive. It's hard. They want it. I mean, it, it that doesn't change. Not having exposure to it at a young age and then exposing them to it at a later age really for the most part doesn't change the desire for it. You know, I have twins. They were both in my belly at the same time. They were... they. The whole nine yards, but they're very like Charlie doesn't have anywhere near the same sweet tooth Sammy does, you know. And I can tell this metabolically and how their in, their individual bodies are built. Mm. Uh, it's it's fascinating to me. So um, that alone isn't necessarily the trigger, but but what I will say of my girls because they grew up the way they grew up, they do have taste buds for normal human food. Like they didn't eat kid food growing up. They didn't they just ate smaller portions of what we gave them. I wasn't giving them, you know, um chicken nuggets and goldfish or any of those things. My children will eat regular fruit, they will eat vegetables, they will eat actual meat, you know. I don't have to put it in nugget form, deep fry it, or cover it in cheese. I, I don't have to do that. Um, uh, but they do both have a taste for things like cupcakes and you know, candy at Halloween and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Try to avoid that. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I was a bit like that because even though I I wasn't into low carb keto at that point when they were little they still grew up grew up eating real food we cooked well Julian cooked he's the cook in the house um so he cooked food and they had real food and if we went to a restaurant they would come over do you want the kids menu it's like no they're not eating that stuff and it, and if you go to somewhere like a recreation park it's really hard to find food that I was happy to give them because they're not going to have chicken nuggets. They're not going to have McDonald's. They're not going to have, we used to, I often tell the story that when they were naughty, Julian say, if you're naughty, I'm going to take you to McDonald's. And they go, no, 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 no. So they, they thought the McDonald's was a punishment. Oh That's <laughs> They'd up. never, the only time they'd been in a McDonald's when they were little was to use the toilet. They'd never had one until mm. they were about nine and maybe seven and they went to a party but like they didn't eat they were too scared to eat at these parties ben <laughs> would order some chips that was all um but then the school took them to they were going to this trip trip and then we're going to mcdonald's and that's when they they started to understand that they actually they did quite like it but ben still won't eat it he he doesn't eat anything like that oh my gosh it's terrible yeah but we, we we always ordered a main dish mm-hmm. off the menu and they, and they split it in half yeah. and that's what they ate. they didn't eat chi- children's foods. Mm-mm. So
2: now, I think that's the fabulous way to bring them up. The scam. That's the biggest scam going is this whole, like kids have to eat something different somehow that we need to cater to their taste buds. No, 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 no. We need to train their taste buds to appreciate real food, you know? And when you take all the processed added sugar stuff out of that diet, then In season, cherries taste like candy in season, strawberries taste like candy, you know, in the winter time, we can still get oranges, things of that nature, you know, citrus fruits. Um, they taste very sweet when you're not used to everything being injected with extra sugar,
0: uh,
2: carrots taste sweet, you know, cooked onions taste sweet. Um, when you're not used to, you know, strawberry flavored gummies, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how so now is it much easier with just the two girls and they obviously eat what you're eating and then you just have to deal with parties and things. The other thing with my boys was I'd never let them have anything that had a spartame in. Yes, and but if they went to a party, I just sort of would sit there cringing, but I let them have it. But they never had; they'd never have anything with a spartame. But they did have full fat sugar stuff. But you know, I don't know what's worse actually. Body knows what to do with that.
2: You know th- that's my my feeling with sort of sugar. Too much of it is terrible for you, and quite frankly, we don't need it at all. Um, but at least the body recognizes what sugar is. Oh, okay, this is sucrose. It's a fructose and a glucose, and I know how to metabolize that, and I know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, so the body at least recognizes what it is, and but again you get over a certain threshold. I mean, like anything more than a teaspoon at a time is too much for the body at any one time. That's what I think a lot of people don't realize is you get this huge glut of too much sugar in one sitting and the body's like, all right, well, I'm going to do with it what I can in the moment. But the rest of this stuff is getting stored somewhere because I got to get it out of the blood. So we know this, um, but at least it's it's real. It doesn't mean it's healthier necessarily. The the response from the body is different. But things like aspartame um, and sucralose and all that other stuff is completely artificial, and the body's like, I, I don't know what this is. And what happens is, um, it might not spike your blood sugar, but that's still a molecule. The body's got to do something with it. It's got to go somewhere. It doesn't just get peed out. And guess where your body stores all those toxins? it gets stored in your body fat. So you're still carrying it, you know? Um, and so when, so this is where I think when a lot of people go low carb or go keto and their body starts to release fatty acids and they start to get the keto flu part of that, I think is coming from the loss of electrolytes as the body, releases glucose and releases fat. It, it, it flushes a lot of water. So your body loses a lot of water and it loses a lot of electrolytes. And we start to get sleepy and we start to kind of feel just achy and foggy headed, but also the body's releasing a lot of toxins that it's got to get rid of. You know, it, it's, it's, it's always interesting to me, the way different people respond to moving to a lower carbohydrate diet. Some do it effortlessly. Others have, really, really struggle. Um, but you got to kind of get through it. This is where some activated charcoal can really help kind of bind up some of those toxins and remove it
0: from the body. But, you know, all of that stuff you put in there has to go somewhere. Yeah. I hadn't heard about activated charcoal. Yeah. Cause I often think of it as a, also as a detox from the sugar. All the sugars that you're eating is, is part of that, mm-hmm. which is why I advise my clients to go in a bit slower and maybe take a couple of weeks and not just go. Cold turkey because you know some people do need to go cold turkey because they have food addictions and things like that but cold turkey is is tough it, it's really hard it hard. doesn't have to be like that yeah
2: you know I think when it's when working with clients it's asking getting letting them I guess tap into their own intuition as to which path is best look going cold turkey is faster but for many people miserable for a week or two you know so, but but you're ripping off the band-aid Okay, so the pain is there. It probably feels greater in the moment, but it's shorter lived versus removing it a little bit at a time um, where uh, you don't have the same sort of metabolic, extreme metabolic response, but it takes you longer to get where you're trying to go. Yeah. Um, So, you know, it is a personal
0: preference. Yeah, absolutely. But How did you get into coaching? Oh, I got into coaching because
2: I had so many people. I had so many people ask telling me I should do it. You know, I started, I started a little blog that I don't write for anymore. It's gone. It's, I let the the URL go. It was called mom gone paleo. was the name of my little blog. And I started writing about it and I would share it on Facebook with friends. And, um, so, you know, whatever the, the 12 people that were reading that blog would, would come in all the time and they would ask me questions and advice. And just people that were friends of mine on Facebook started asking me questions, or I would be at, um, you know, baseball games or soccer games or basketball games. And over time is I was just vocal about the way I lived. I wasn't shouting from the roof. I just lived it. You know um, I, I joke about the fact that I, I was like the one mom that would be coming to a baseball tournament with a full cooler, full of food. You know, I brought perishable food to the baseball field so that my son could eat an actual meal and real food in between games, instead of just buying a hot dog and a bag of Doritos. Yeah. Um, you know, and people would ask questions and, oh my gosh, you make me feel guilty. Where do you find the time and all this other stuff? And that's when it's, well, there's no sense in feeling guilty about it. I, I get it's out of the ordinary and it takes time, you know, but I have just sort of built the habit. This is kind of how I do. So to me, it's no big deal. The hardest part is learning how to do it. And I'm happy to help you learn how to do it. This is one of the things I do, you know, um, you know, I'm happy to help, you know, and that's when people are like, oh, do you do this for a living? no. <laughs> just something I'm passionate about. And what do you do for a living? Oh, I work in the financial industry and I sell asset management solutions. And they're like, why do you do that? (laughs) Like that's so different. And so eventually I started asking myself the same question. So that's when I um, enrolled in my first school. There weren't that many at the time. This was 10 years ago. And I just thought to myself, look, I don't spend money on anything else. This is my only hobby. Um, so I decided to, instead of going and buying golf clubs and all this other stuff or that other people spend money on in terms of hobbies, I spent money on my education and training. And so that's, and then I just sort of very casually just went this time when I offered to help people, I knew what I was doing and I could build a structured program and people actually saw results. And then I decided as, um, clients of mine from my old industry that knew me well, kept being like, look, I love you and I'm going to miss seeing you, but I don't know why you're still doing this. You know, you're good at it. All oh, that's great. But this is clearly not where your heart is, you know, and it really kind of gave me pause. So when, when you start hearing stuff like that from people, listen, yeah. you know? um, and so that's, that's
0: what led me to coaching. And then, and then, so I'm guessing, so at that time there probably wasn't the primal health coaching didn't exist. Nope. So how did, how did you get involved with primal health?
2: So so I had taken a different course that really was not aligned with my own sort of general lifestyle philosophy. So I had to kind of fit a round peg in a square hole in terms of building a a program that was in line. And that was not my skill set, nor did I have the time. So that's what slowed things down a lot. So I, interestingly, I wrote to Mark Sisson, Rob Wolf, Nora, Ged Gaudis, Chris Kresser, all of these people that I followed asking if they were aware of a program and what was cool and what's cool about this community is every single one of them replied to me mm-hmm. with, with just varying degrees of advice. But it was Mark Sisson's team that said, you know what? Interestingly enough, we're in the process of building something. It's not ready yet. It'll be ready in the fall. You know, do you want us to add you to the um, list of kind of early bird? You know, I'm like, yeah, please. So when that finally came out, it wasn't the course that it is today. It was really just a content expert cert, but I already had a cert from another program. So that was fine. Um, all I really wanted was a deeper dive into the material so I could be better um, better educated and trained in how to actually explain this to somebody else in a way that they can understand. Plus it came with some help resources that were really helpful for me, some handouts and pieces that I, I didn't know how to recreate. So I took that and I just... One step at a time, you know, I started kind of building a business. I eventually opened a gym, um, a CrossFit gym, because I c- became a CrossFit junkie at that point. I learned how to lift weights and, and all this stuff. And and once that gym became profitable, I was finally in a position where I could take a little bit of a leap and jump. And um, I transitioned into that. And my, my coaching business was kind of linked to it.
0: Yeah. So what, um, what made you get involved in the gym? So I, I knew through
2: what I was learning about sort of this ancestral fitness, that the way I was training and the way I was exercising this whole kind of burn calories was part of the problem. And that this, this high level of cardio was not doing me any favors. I was actually cannibalizing muscle, not building it. And I was learning more and more about the benefit of lean body mass, the benefit of stronger bones, stronger ligaments and tendons and and muscle. And so I needed to, I wanted to learn how to lift weights. And I I didn't know how I didn't want to hurt myself. Uh, I wanted to look into getting a personal trainer, but for the number of times I wanted to work out, that was too expensive for me. Like I wanted to be able to work out three or four times a week. Um, And so that's when I kept hearing more about CrossFit. I didn't know what it was at the time. And so I, I took a deeper look at it and I attended my first class and, and I was immediately hooked. Boy, was it hard. But the feeling of accomplishment at the end of every class is awesome, right? Over time, I began to see some of the traps and some of the problems with the way some CrossFit gyms are run and certain uh, ways CrossFit tends to be programmed. Uh, So I would just take with it what it was. So when I when I opened my gym, um, I had met one of the trainers at the gym I was going to. I ended up dating him and marrying him. I'm such a cliche, right? man who was like one of the trainers at the gym um but he and another friend of ours from that gym who was a pharmacist and wanted to lead pharmacy the one thing Hector and I had in common was we both wanted out of our jobs and we both had some money not a ton but it doesn't take a lot to open a CrossFit gym right um so we put up the money and my husband Brad ran the gym um and then and then Hector and I would come in and teach classes when we could and that kind of stuff and um So we, we opened that and then I was eventually able to leave, you know, and so CrossFit is still kind of my first sort of fitness love, but I I have learned to understand where the problems can, can lie with any kind of high intensity training, CrossFit, Orange Theory, P90X, F45, all of it. Um, these sort of high intensity interval trainings that are, they're not done properly. Um, in my opinion, not, not in a fashion where it should be repeated four or five days a week. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, I still coach CrossFit classes, but, um, because I love it, I love coaching and I love the environment, but I'm, I'm always within my own little classes, putting my own kind of coach Laura's two cents on what else is going on for you. Where else are you seeing, um, uh, stress today and helping people figure out what they want to do with the workout that day that makes sense for them in the
0: moment. Yeah. So But your gym is still in Illinois or have you sold it or have you come out of it? What's happened there?
2: Finally, um, we finally signed a buyout agreement because we moved in the middle of the pandemic. Remember the start of the pandemic, the gym was shut. They couldn't afford to buy us out. And so it took two years for them to be in a financial situation. And they're still going to have to pay us off over time. They they don't have the ability to, to do it in one big lump sum, but we'll get there. So right now I'm kind of coaching at a local gym here and loving that. And I'm in the process of rebranding my whole coaching practice where I'm going to be adding kind of a strength training program specifically for women. Men can use it, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to have a branded program specifically for women um, and helping them to understand specifically women that are post children or at a certain age. Where we've got some commonalities where we've got changes in hormones yep. that once worked for you in the past does not work for you anymore. Um, and we need to rethink nutrition. We need to stop dieting as a verb. Okay. We yes. need to stop dieting. We need to view a diet as just the sum total of the foods in my universe that I eat regularly. Okay. That's my diet. I'm not on a diet. This is what comprises my diet. Um, do I take excursions sometimes? Sure. But that's okay because my normal diet is what I'm surrounded by, you know? And so helping women think through, I do think most of the women that I work with have, have been under eating protein for decades.
0: Yeah. Forever. Probably. Because
2: for some reason, women were told that somehow eating that meat was bad for you. It had some sort of masculine connotation. Um, it wasn't feminine somehow, and so because of this, we now have these women who don't do not have anywhere near the lean muscle mass and bone density that they should have, especially as we age. And it then makes us not to mention we're out there running and doing all of these, these kind of things that continue to cannibalize muscle. So this is where I want to kind of reframe nutrition and fitness for women as they enter into this stage of let's, let's get comfortable with where our bodies are now. Um, and let's eat for nutrients. Let's learn how to eat rather than diet. Let's learn how to train to be fit for the life you want to live rather than constantly exercising to outrun, uh, you know, in, in search of some, some body image that, that you're in search of, Let, let's
0: try to get there in a way that's in a, from a healthier place. Yeah. That's what I say. You want to, you know, as part of my tagline is fit for life and fit for living because, if you're not living well, you Mm -hmm. might as well not be living. It's, you know, you you want a quality of life and you want that as you get older. You don't, and we're losing muscle year on year. Once you hit 50, you're losing muscle year on year. So how are you going to maintain that and keep it going? And it's not just running, no, running 5K all the time.
2: More broccoli and plant-based protein shapes is not going to do it. You know, you have to eat an adequate level of protein. That's what builds muscle. You need the building blocks there. Otherwise it's not going to happen. And and your muscles need to get the signal that they need to come back stronger and better for the next time. So that that's strength training. That's what that is. Um, and so it's helping women get comfortable and in transitioning into that kind of, a um, look, cardio has its place. It's fine, but not at the, um, not, not, not in a way that sacrifices strength training and muscle building. Yeah, and women that might be listening, I promise you, eating more protein and lifting weights is not going to make you bulky. No. You have to really eat a lot. You have to really supplement, and you have to um, do some things that are not natural for you to really. There are some women that might just genetically get a little bulkier than some other women, but you're never going to look like a man. You know that that's not going to happen. You are a woman. And we can, um, we can get you to the point where you have these, um, nice sort of rounded shoulders where you've actual shoulder muscles and you have actual hamstring muscles, right. And you have a a nice little booty that you can, um, rather than the dreaded pancake, butt that, you know, so many of us have from sitting down so long, (laughs) but, um, you know, there, there's a way that you can, um, look just healthy and strong without looking bulky, um, because that i mean i'm muscle is the longevity organ yeah it's what's going to make a difference between how long you can live independently as you're in your 70s and your 80s versus those that have to live in more of an assisted living situation
0: yeah and mm-hmm. it's simple stuff that anybody could do at any point you know if somebody's listening to this now and they're older yeah. they can still do things now that will benefit them in the next 10 years Because, you know, I can't think of anything more miserable than living in assisted care, sitting in an armchair, waiting for my kids to come and visit me. That just sounds really boring.
2: It does. It does. And look, it's, it's literally never too late, right? It's literally never, unless you're already dead, it's literally never too late. That there's something you could be doing to improve your own sense of mobility, strength and independence, no matter how old you are or your circumstances. Um, it just may be that you need some help or some resources or some guidance and, um, in the will to get up and do it.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what does a day of eating look like for you?
2: Oh gosh. So again, depends on the season. So it's summertime here in Florida. So my breakfast is usually eggs, um, and two eggs is not enough, not enough protein. There's only six grams of protein in an egg. Okay. And if I'm trying I work with all my women trying to figure out how they're going to get to 30 grams of protein in a meal. So it's usually eggs with maybe a little side of ham or some leftover steak or a little leftover fish or shrimp, or maybe um, a sausage. Um, and right about now we have some in season fruits that I'll eat a little bit of fruit in the morning. And that helps give me what little bit of glucose I might need for my workout later. Um, and then lunch is often either leftovers from the night before or a really big salad. I love vegetables. I know there's a lot, a lot of folks in kind of the carnivore crowd that, you know, need to avoid it for other reasons. I can tolerate vegetables just fine. So I usually have some sort of salad with a huge chunk of protein on it. I either take a whole can of tuna, you know, throw it on top. Um, or I have a uh, chicken from a rotisserie chicken. I'll rip off or, or dice it up or, um, Turkey, whatever. Um, add that and, and a primal kitchen dressing, or I make my own. Um, and then for dinner is usually some sort of, whether it's some sort of meat, whether it's steak or pork or fish or chicken with some sort of vegetable and often a salad on top of it. You know, last night we had um, a flank steak that I marinated. And I had a side of broccoli with that, but then I also had a little um, sort of avocado, cucumber and tomato salad.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So that's kind of a typical, typical day. I just sort of swap out various ingredients that
0: might make it unique, but um, that's a typical day. So when you say two eggs is not enough, what do you generally have?
2: I'll usually have three to four eggs. um, And then, um, Again, so I, I, I'm a big believer that that first, so I do tend to eat three meals because I am very active and I'm hungry. <laughs> I just am. And I, I don't want myself or any of my clients ever going through the day, feeling like they're white knuckling it till their next meal. It's what tends to lead people to snacks and snacks is where the traps are. So eat a meal. So I'm up early. I'm always up no, early, no later than 6. a.m. And I typically eat breakfast around eight or nine, and then I'll have a smaller like usually lunch is smaller in terms of it's like a salad with a little something else on there, but breakfast, I, I'm a big believer in your very first meal being as nutritious as you can, you know, just an Epic, Epic meal for your first meal of the day. So if you're intermittent fasting and you're not eating till noon, and that's technically breakfast for you, make it amazing and make it a bit, your, your body at that point is welcoming nutrients. Cause it's been fasting either overnight or to whenever you decide to eat. And so your body is ready to absorb those nutrients. So that first meal of the day, it is, oh my gosh, when I look back sacrilegious that I was trying to feed my body a bagel and yeah. cheese. What, you know, I want a meal full of protein. And the reason I'll, I'll add um, either vegetables or fruits is because it gives me a little bit of that um, carbohydrate where my muscles are much more likely to absorb it instead of having it being stored as fat or after a workout, or right before a workout, where I know I'm going to use it right away.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes sense.
2: Yeah. So I mean, I, and for me, it's just, if I go out to eat, so this is the thing with any nutritional strategy, so so that it doesn't feel like a diet is whatever strategy, whatever you feel works for you, it needs to be replicatable, regardless of the environment you're in, Mm. to be able to maintain this sort of Diet, dietary strategy, whether you're eating out, whether you're at a friend's house, you're on vacation, you're at a party, you need to be able to duplicate it. That That's my only issue with a lot of programs that have you weighing and measuring everything or, um, prescribing to a particular meal plan or that you have to buy the foods that they produce is the minute you're out of kind of just your own little bubble. You're like, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. You know, Because I don't have the meal I'm taking out of the fridge and popping in the oven, or because I don't have my, my scale and I don't know how to weigh and measure things. Yeah. You know, It makes make things difficult that way. So this is where in any, any strategy, it needs to be something that you can. So, I mean, I can literally find something to eat at just about any restaurant. You know, uh, I mean, if I'm going to just a pizza place and they literally have nothing else. Okay. You know what? I might eat, I might just wait, eat before I go or, or wait and eat later, or, Screw it, I'll have a piece of pizza and see what happens. You know, typically I feel like garbage afterwards. And then I'm like, all right, I'm probably
0: not going to do that again. Can't sleep. <laughs> Can't <laughs> sleep, well.
2: So, whenever, like my scientists, I'll, I'll notice because I'm like, oh, I feel the post nasal drip like the si- from all the cheese on that that pizza. You know, but it's it's not as though I never have an excursion. My biggest weakness was always ice cream. You know, I love ice cream. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> and ice cream is dairy. So I I eventually learned how to make my own you know, and so sometimes I'll do that. And and I can make it without sugar, I can put some fruit in there or something. And it's something that we have every once in a while. But you know, it's about finding something that's works for you, and your lifestyle and your preferences that is replicatable
0: regardless of the environment you're in. Yeah. And -hmm. for some people, they they like the tracking. For me, that's my worst nightmare. And I do occasionally track just to see how, you know, am I eating too many carbs. Mm -hmm. But Uh, for me, weighing everything and measuring is, is just, that's my worst nightmare. Yeah. So I want to be able to eat whatever I want within, you know, I know, I now know, you know, what's a good size salad for me. That's about 10 grams of carbs some mm-hmm. I have some lettuce some onions some radish and some cucumber I know how much of each is approximately the weight I don't have to weigh it
2: mm-hmm. and
0: then you know well a tuna I'd say for today well, that was a salad with a tin of tuna and two hard-boiled eggs and some homemade mayo that was a good lunch yeah that sounds delicious
2: yeah I love a good tuna salad you know, I used to, I made my own mayo for a long time too, but now I can buy it in a jar, but it's still less expensive for me to make it, uh, which I don't know how you make yours, but I just use a wand yep. Yeah, two it's two minutes. It's-
0: and usually my mom makes it. So that's even better because it's, <laughs> it's already done. I just go, I make the eggs and I go over there and she does the mayonnaise and we're <laughs> sorted. And I make my own vinaigrette as well. So um, do you guys have like our version
2: of like a Costco out there? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, they Costco here. I can buy tins of of great like wild caught tuna at a pretty cheap price. They um, also sell like I can b- buy big things of all the kind of meats and fish that I enjoy eating and turn around and freeze it later. But the one near us also sells more and more things that are kind of either pre done or halfway done that are fabulous and just make like they sell um, the one near me make a version of like a pulled pork. Um, they also sell a barbacoa that I, you look at the ingredients and I'm like, that's exactly the way I would make it. There's nothing in there and boom, instant tacos, you know, tacos, we'll wrap it in lettuce, or we'll use like an almond flour tortilla or something. But, um, like there's just so many ways you can make this super convenient, to you know, in, 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 terms of just satiety, it's focus on the protein first. Yes. I consume the protein first and then I consume the vegetables and stuff afterwards. And and you find you don't really miss all the other stuff because you're full by the time
0: you get to it. You're full. And also I just think you get used to not having it. Mm -hmm. It just becomes all the things that you think beforehand you're going to miss. So for me, it was um, bread, potatoes, and pasta. You think this is such a big thing and how could I have a meal for me? How could I have a meal without mashed potatoes was just unthinkable. And how can I, what can I have for lunch if I'm not having a sandwich? But once you get past that, right. it's so easy. You just don't even think about it anymore. It just yeah. doesn't become an issue.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about, you know, I, I posted a video one time um, on social media and I talked about it at at the gym the other day about um, this this notion of, you know, I don't have enough self-discipline. I'm weak, you know. Um, I don't have willpower and just people in, in terms of being able to avoid these foods. And I'm like, God, you don't need willpower. It's not about willpower and it's not about self-discipline. It's about habits, right? Once you build the habit of finding something to eat other than bread. So you no longer have bread in the house. What are you gonna have for lunch? Right. So you build the habit of figuring that out, then the willpower doesn't matter. You don't need it anymore because it's what you're used to. No. That's how, that's the power of habits and on the good side and the bad side, right? In terms of building habits that lead you down the path you don't want to go versus habits that lead you down the path you do want to go. And it's about picking a new one, building a better habit, one habit at a time. Then the next thing you know, you turn around in six months and you've completely replaced five or six habits that led you in the wrong direction with five or six habits that lead you in the right direction. And it's a game changer. So it's it's not about white knuckling it. It's not about building self-discipline. It's not about needing more willpower. It's about building new habits. And that's what you need to focus on.
0: Yeah. And that, yeah. And it's so, it's so empowering when you do that. Yeah. Because you feel for the first time, because I was that person, I'm not motivated. I can't do it. I can't stick with it. I've got no willpower. That was me at 231 pounds why why do anything because i can't and but then i did and so along with the weight went those thoughts of i can't do it i'm not motivated i don't have any willpower because i just demonstrated to myself that i can do it yeah so and that just that is always so empowering that you are in control of of your body and what you do and your choices that you make and it's always a choice oh yeah and you can choose to eat off plan or however you call it I take a deviation off the path what is how I explain it you can do that Mm -hmm. so long as you just come back to it at the next meal or the next day or whatever you decide exactly exactly and you can do that because it's not an all or nothing diet that you've been struggling to get through for the last three weeks or three months or whatever it is. And so at the first chance of going off plan, everything goes out the window and then you can't, you can't get back there because who wants to go back to that way of living? Cause it's, it was horrible. Yeah. Whereas well, I- when it's not horrible, you just say, okay, I enjoyed that. I had that piece of pizza or the ice cream that wasn't low carb and and now I'm tomorrow I'm just back to it right so empowering isn't it it sure is yeah I love it which leads us on to because this was something you mentioned that that you wanted to bring up was about keto foods and Mm -hmm. things labeled as is this food you know people I I get it the question as well can Mm -hmm. I is this keto can I eat it do you want to expand on that
2: yeah. So this goes back to the mindset of dieting. I'm on a diet. I'm on the keto diet and I can't eat foods that aren't keto. Okay. So first of all, we're, stop dieting. We're not dieting. Okay. Is this a food that is serving you? Is it supportive of the goal you're looking to achieve? Right? So what is the reason why you chose to go low carb or keto in the first place? Right. And is this food going to be in line with that? So for example, you know, I get this a lot with, um, what I would call kind of pseudo grains, things like quinoa or, or even lagoons, right. In terms of, because they always heard that they were good sources of protein uh-huh. that it's a protein source. Um, they do have high levels of fiber, which could be good for some people. I, I, I do not think the mantra that just more fiber is a good solution. Not everybody tolerates that well at, at all. Um, and uh, but it comes with a heavy carbohydrate load. So is it keto? Can I have this? So the, my, my approach to this is first of all, um, is it going to suit your goal? Is it going to get in the way of you reaching your goals? Yes or no. They may not know. I don't know. Okay. So the next question is, do you tolerate it? Well, how does your body respond when you eat it? Maybe I don't know. Maybe we need to test it. Okay. So if it's, yes, I tolerate it. Or uh, then great, move on to the next question. If it's no, you know what? I don't really tolerate it. I notice I get bloated or whatever. Okay, problem solved. Answer Question answered, right? The next one is, does it bring you joy? This is my next question. Mm. Is things like quinoa or chickpeas or other legumes, do they literally bring you joy when you consume them? If it's no, it just fills my plate and adds variety. Yeah. You know, maybe not. If it's yes. I love them. And I literally feel complete, <laughs> you know, after having it. Okay. Let's find a way to include it in your diet then. Yeah. In terms of keto or low carb at the end of the day, it has to do with the sum total of carbohydrates in your diet, where you might end up butting up against that threshold where now you're not achieving your goals. So if you're going to include, I don't know, hummus or quinoa or something else, you you might need to then consider removing some other sources of carbohydrate um, that, um, would ordinarily be there to take you kind of out of that. So it's not so much if any one food is allowed or if it's keto, it's, it's broadly speaking, is it supportive of your goals? Some people know off the bat it's really not. All right. So you don't need my permission. I'm not your mama and I'm not your boss. I'm your coach. What do you think? Is this supportive of your goals? Well, I don't know. Okay. Well, let's talk about what this food is, Cause again, there's this misconception that somehow beans are all protein. They're not, there's some protein. They're not a complete protein, but they're mostly carbs, quite frankly. Okay. The same thing with nuts. Here's another one I get, you know, in terms of, you know, carbs or nuts are a protein source. Mm, They've got a little bit, they're mostly fat actually. And there's some more carbs in there than there is protein. So don't kid yourself. Okay. So this is what these foods are. This is where these foods fit. This is what they do. So are these foods supportive of where you're trying to go, right? Then the next question, do you tolerate it? Because sometimes it's kind of like, it's neutral. It doesn't work against me. It doesn't work for me. So, all right, do you tolerate it? I don't know. All right, well, what happens if you eat it? Let's test that. Or you know what? You're probably right because I find like it bloated or I find whatever. All right, so that answers that question. And then the next one is, does it bring you joy? So this is me with the ice cream. Yeah. Right, sometimes when I'm at the beach, with my kids and there's an, a great place nearby that makes this homemade ice cream, you know, just having, having a little cup and eating it or a little cone or whatever, and eating that with my kids in that moment, bring me joy in that
0: moment. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to enjoy my ice cream and move on. <clears throat> I'll deal with the phlegm later, you know? So that's kind of the way I, I sort of try to frame this. Hey, is this allowed? Can I have this? Is this keto kind of question?
0: yeah I remember at the beginning, and I when I first started keto, and you know you've got to have avocados they're full of fat and they're really satiating and I don't really like avocados because I did a detox many years ago, and I've hated avocados ever since, but you know I've got to eat this avocado until it got to a point where I thought <laughs> I really am not enjoying this I'm having to hide it in bits of other food to eat it, and I just thought I'm not bothering anymore that's it i'm um, I so I don't eat avocados
1: and it's not locally.
0: It's not local and seasonal, it's, you know, it's not local food for us. So why yeah. transport it all the way across the world for me to eat it?
2: Right. Just because the avocado is keto. Right. And, and so, so that's the other question. And, and this is an educational moment. Like what makes a food keto? So the, the general, so the, the actual textbook definition of a ketogenic diet is any diet that will prompt your liver to produce ketones. That's the definition of a. So what is a ketone? A ketone is something your liver produces. It's a form of energy that the body can use in the absence of other forms of energy, namely carbohydrates, right? So there's a number of ways to get to that state of ketosis, one of which is drastically reducing the amount of carbohydrate in your diet. You're not consuming carbohydrates. The body needs glucose. And here's what's cool the body has a mechanism to actually produce the glucose it needs from within itself. Okay. Or it can actually start to produce ketones as an alternative and ketones are a phenomenal source of energy for the brain actually. Right. So there are some organs that use ketones very well. Some that really only use fatty acids and some that really can only use glucose. So, you know, so how do we get the body into that state of ketosis? Just adding more fat doesn't get you there. So do you have to just add avocados because they're high in fat? No, that doesn't, that's not the way that works. It's about needing the body, needing to be prompted to produce that source of energy. So it's carbohydrate restriction. It can also just be intermittent fasting. Yep. Going without any appreciable calories for a long period of time, your body will start to produce ketones. You can do that. You can just be on a super low caloric diet. I've seen that. So people aren't really intermittent fasting. They're just torturing themselves every few hours with not enough food. Mm. Oh my God, those diets are the worst. Those like 100 calorie packs and keeping your meals to two or 300 calories. Like you're constantly always hungry and just torturing yourself with food, but not enough food. But there's the caloric load is so low that the body needs to produce energy internally. It'll do that by breaking down muscle to get glucose. It'll do that by releasing fatty acids, or it'll do that by producing ketones. So that's another road. That sounds horrible. I don't want to go that way, you know. Or you can create, get them exogenously. You can buy a supplement that's going to give you ketones to burn. But then, why why are you on the ketogenic diet if it's to lose body weight? or just sort of create a better metabolic mechanism, that's not really going to help. Mm-hmm. Where I really think those exogenous ketones come into play are for folks who are using that diet therapeutically because ketone bodies actually have a tremendous therapeutic anti-inflammatory effect. And it's great for neurological conditions and other conditions. So in in that transition to a ketogenic diet, those exogenous ketones really help. And I have also found athletes trying to transition from a higher carb to a lower carb diet can benefit from that kind of supplement in terms of training. But those are really the only places where I, I see that fit. So, okay. So if this is what I'm looking to do which is to prompt my body to release body fat and release ketones to run on that so I don't need all this extra food and I don't need all these extra carbohydrates is just adding a certain food going to get me there no is consuming a certain food going to kick me out of it maybe yeah maybe it depends on the whole context yeah
0: totally agree and I think the other thing to mention is that we need to watch out nowadays for Packaged foods that are labeled as keto or keto friendly, and Costco is a great one for producing keto foods. And is it really keto? Well, like you said, it depends on everything else you're eating throughout the day, but also turn it round and look at the ingredients and what is in there. Because if it's got maple syrup, then you know, maybe it's not very good for you. And yes, it might be less than three net grams of carbs. But the amount you can eat is so small that actually, I'd probably rather just have a piece of chocolate myself. Right. Not
2: no, absolutely that. right. Well, and also so many, it's, I think some people think because a food is labeled keto, that they can eat as much of it as they want. And they're going to be able to lose weight or reach that goal. That's, that's not how that works. No. I, I've seen people gain weight on a ketogenic diet because they're not. The reason a ketogenic diet works is it's a phenomenal appetite suppressant you tend to naturally eat less over time because the foods you're now consuming are digested slower. You have greater levels of satiety. If it's a whole food version, you're more tightly nourished and you're no longer continuing to store excess glucose, right? So you tend to lose weight on it. But if you are the kind of person that's just going to eat the same volume, you're just going to pull out carbohydrate and add more fat. You've doubled your calories.
0: Yeah. You're
2: not going to lose weight that way. It doesn't work that way. You may find other benefits, right? Let lower inflammation, less brain fog, all that other stuff. That's awesome. But you're not going to lose weight that way. Yeah. So if you're just consuming keto cookies until the cows come home.
0: No, mm-mm.
2: not yeah. to mention a lot of those like sugar alcohols, like erythritol, sorbitol, maltitol, xylitol, anything that ends in a tall is a sugar alcohol a lot of people digestively don't tolerate that very mm-hmm. well at all. Um, and, 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 um, I've known some people that still like there something about it, like their insulin still goes up a little bit. This isn't the case with everybody, but I've seen some people that have noticed a, a little bit of a spike in blood sugar. This happened to me when I was, I was wearing one of those continuous glucose monitors. Cause I'm a geek and I just wanted to test this stuff out. And I, had eaten something that was that was kind of marketed as keto friendly, and it still spiked my blood sugar. It was supposed to be a diabetic friendly. It was an energy bar, you know.
0: Yeah, it mm. doesn't work for everyone. Mm-mm. Mm. Yeah. So, Laura, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we haven't mentioned? I think we covered a lot of ground. We did. I think yeah. so, too. so. How can people get in contact with you?
2: Oh gosh. So you can go to, so I have a little website there. There's not a whole lot right there right now. It's just my landing page with basically how to reach me and the general outline of my program as it stands right now. Um, at coach is the name of my website. Coach is me on Instagram as well. That's probably a good way to reach me. I have a Facebook page. Um, both my Instagram and Facebook are really more personal pages, but you can reach me there. I'm just Laura. Puglisi Rupsis on Facebook. Uh, but coachLaura.fit is my website. And you can my email is um, Coach Laura at gmail.com.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Uh, before we finish, can you leave us with your three top tips? Oh gosh, three top tips for what? Take it, take it as you wish. So it could be for somebody just starting out, it could be someone further down the line, it could be around fitness, it could be around nutrition. Go with whatever you, if you were standing in, some, in front of somebody now and you had to tell them my three top tips are, what would they be?
2: Oh, gosh. So my three top tips when I'm starting with any client is be very, very clear as to what it is you want, but most importantly, why you want it. Get very clear on that, what we call an intrinsic motivator. Um, If you're coming to a lifestyle or dietary change with a sort of external goal or an external motivator, like I want to lose 20 pounds, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that goal. But why do you want to lose that 20 pounds? Yeah. Because my, what ends up happening is in times of strife or challenge, suddenly losing that 30 pounds loses its priority. So why do you want to lose it? You know, or, or if it's not weight and it's a health related goal, let's really get to the root at what's motivating you to make that change and hold true to it. So for me, and and it needs to be a goal. That's not transient, like this internal place, you know, because if it's just, you know, the things that motivate me are like trying to train for a marathon. Well, what happens after the marathon? Mm And Why is running the marathon important? What is it that's driving that? You know, for me, it's, I have a probably just irrational fear of ever being a burden to my children, Mm. especially me as an older mother. I do not want my kids like having to take care of mom. This is a situation I'm in with my mother and, and, and I don't begrudge it. So I don't know why it bothers me so much. You know, my mom took care of me. I don't begrudge taking care of her at all, but for some reason, I don't want that for my children. So I want to be dancing at my great grandchild's wedding. You know, I don't want someone wheeling me in if I can, uh, I'll avoid it. And so I, I'm able to tag back to that motivation that everything I do today is going to, is going to be even more important and even more valuable 20 years from now. Yeah. So that's fine. You know, so when, so my, my one piece of advice is really dig deep and get to the root of why it is you're seeking this change and, and be honest with yourself about it. Um, an exercise I'll walk my clients through is the, the five whys exercise. Why are you here? Okay, but why that? Okay, great, but why that? Like really peel back the onion to get to the real root of what it is that's driving this that's a sustainable motivator for you. That's my first one. Uh, my second one, as it comes to nutrition, right, is satiety first. You need to to figure out how to build a meal that keeps you full for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for most of my clients, that's the right amount of protein and and then some fiber will keep you full until you, you will find you probably don't even need three meals if that's your focus. So in in the process from a nutritional point of view is find the strategy that keeps you feeling full for long periods of time. That's going to be the right approach for you. Um, and my, my little hack, my little cheat is start with 30 grams of protein and some veg, eat those two things first. Everything else is optional or or later. And then in terms of kind of activity and exercise, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of strength training. I really think that should be prioritized, but really at the end of the day, it needs to be something you will do consistently, whatever you're excited about, whatever you feel motivated to get out to do all the time. Just move more is the number one mantra. Move more, period. Walking is my favorite. So find ways to move more every day. And in the terms of intentional exercise, the best exercise for you is the one that you want to get out and do and you will do consistently. Consistency is key
0: in all of this. Yes, absolutely. Those would be my my three tips. I love them all. Well, it's part of the primal health coaching way, really, isn't it? So (laughs) yeah, totally. I mean, I, I totally live it. And,
2: and the, the biggest benefit I've gotten from joining the sort of primal health coach team has been my ability to um, put in my two cents as it relates to curriculum and concepts and helping other coaches along the way so that these coaches can then help their clients. So, you know, life is really good right now. I'm
0: really grateful for it. Good. That's yeah. what we'd like to hear. <laughs> so thank you for joining me. It's been a real pleasure.
2: Yes, me too. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great.
0: Thanks, Jackie. Thank you, Laura, for that fabulous interview. Sometimes when interviewing, a question comes up in my mind, but the conversation continues and goes off in a different direction. And then the question that formed didn't get asked. When interviewing Laura, this question came up, but I didn't get the chance to ask it. And as I was editing the podcast, I had to reach out to Laura to find out the answer. When she spoke about her story, she mentioned she was doing a pitch to a prospective client and he stopped her to ask if she was okay and suggested the chiropractor. I wanted to know, did she win the business? Did you wonder that? Laura said. He was a client who was already using our solution. I was bringing him up to speed on why he should continue to use it. And yes, he did continue to use it. So I'm glad I found that out. I don't know about you, but I found there were so many little gems that Laura shared with us in this episode. So why don't you comment on one of our social media posts and let us know which were your takeaways? Here's one that I really picked out. And it was when we were talking about, is a food keto or low carb? And Laura asked these questions. And one of the questions is, is this a food that is serving you or is it a supportive to your goals? Now, that is a question that we ask in the primal health coaching. You know, is is this something that's going to support your journey and is it going to help you achieve your goals? But she had a couple of other questions that I thought were really brilliant and so she said, is this a food that is serving you? Is it supportive of your goals? And is it going to get in the way of you reaching your goals? So that's all one area that, that sort of covers, is it supportive to your goals? But then she went on to ask, do you tolerate it well? So you might need to test. And how does your body respond when you eat it? And then more importantly, does it bring you joy? Sounds a bit like Marie Kondo in, you know, does this thing in your life bring you joy? But really, does this food bring you joy? Because if it doesn't, why are you eating it? So that's a great question. So I love those questions. So I think the does it bring you joy question sort of really rounds off whether you should be eating that food or not in the terms of everything else that went before if you've been listening to various episodes i've mentioned the journal that i've been creating well i'm pleased to announce that it's now available to purchase on amazon you can go to most amazon sites depending on the country you're in and search for the fabulously keto diet and lifestyle journal or you can click the link in the show notes So what is the journal? Well, it's a workbook for you to think about what you want, like Laura mentioned in one of her top tips. Then work towards that goal, noticing what is working for you and what isn't. And despite the name being fabulously keto, it's not just for keto. It would work for any diet and lifestyle changes that you want to make, including exercise ones. So what it isn't Is it isn't information about the keto diet or what to do. It's just for you to know where you are now, what you want to change, and then for you to work out the steps that you need to take to make that change. And what it will do is it will support you on your journey and help you to clarify if what you're doing is beneficial to you. And if not, to get you thinking about what needs to change to get the results that you want so to order your copy go to amazon and search for the fabulously keto diet and lifestyle journal or click the link in the show notes so if you want to get to the show notes the show notes can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 109 Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes.
1: If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all.
0: Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes especially if you're taking medication.